0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Well, let me remind you where we've been. We've been talking about, first, the need for the church to repent and humble ourselves before the Lord. And then we were talking about, well, what is the church, what should it look like? If we are repentant, if we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, if we're humble before the Lord, what should the church look like? And so for the last few weeks, I've been talking about what would be a true church or a true bride of Christ. And if you were here, you know that I started out talking about the church loving God more than loving the world. In fact, we should not love the world at all. We should love him with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. Yet we know, if we are honest, that the church, that is, each of us individually, has a tendency to love the world. And I believe that the church in this country has excessively loved the world to the point where we are trying to integrate the ideas of the world into the philosophy and practices of the church. And so God really calls us to walk away from, set aside the things of the world in order to love him. We said, too, that part of a true church would be walking in fear of the Lord, a reverent respect for his majesty, authority, power, and holiness. And then along that line, aspiring to holiness, that every single one of us, if we're genuinely loving God, then in our hearts is going to be a desire to be holy It's not that we're going to be perfect or we're going to, in some way or another, achieve a level of perfection with holiness, but we should always be aspiring in that direction and not be satisfied with some stronghold in our life or something of that nature. And then where we were last week was talking about that the church, a true church, should be one that proclaims truth. And that is so simple and foundational, you think it would be unnecessary to state However, I would say that there is much of the landscape of the church in this country that is not proclaiming the truth. That we proclaim things like universalism, that there are many ways to God and and things of that nature. We talk about compromises with regard to morality rather than seeking holiness. That there are lots of aspects of the church in this country that do not proclaim truth. And in discussing this last week, we looked at a variety of scriptures that tell us something about this subject. The first was about where Jesus appeared before Pilate and Jesus said to Pilate that he came to testify to truth. And then Pilate sarcastically said, what is truth? But I pointed out that this question of what is truth is a continuous ongoing question for all of us in many settings that is among the most important of all questions. That in every circumstance, every situation, I want to know what is the truth, the truth that comes from God, that comes to bear in a given circumstance. And we live in a world now where there is tons of information, but it is not always true, and sometimes because there is so much information, it is hard to sort out the truth. It really is difficult at times to know what is the truth, and you must have the instruction of the Holy Spirit to understand So in this regard, we recognize that Jesus himself is the truth. In John, it says that he declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I think what is so important for us to understand is that when he said, I am truth, he's not saying that I speak truth or that I abide by truth. He's saying it is my inherent nature and character. That he is the truth. And that's why I've said that a society that says there's no such thing as absolute truth or t- tries to deny truth is essentially, unknowingly probably, but essentially trying to deny the essence of Jesus himself, that he is the truth. And then further in last week's discussion, We talked about this scripture where Jesus said he came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but rather to fulfill them. And he said, I tell you the truth. And I mentioned to you that this statement or something similar to it appears about 70 times in the New Testament. Where Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whereas Satan himself is a liar The father of lies, he's always been a liar. That's what he perpetrates in this kingdom of darkness in this world. That's why I said the contrast in this world is between darkness and light, good and evil, truth and lies. I mean, I think if you could boil it down into one simple thing, it would be that a a great playwright should write just about those things. I guess many plays in some ways have contrasted those things that it boils down to good and evil, darkness and light, truth and lies, truth and lies. And you see, in your life, there are many times in many circumstances where you have believed a lie about yourself or about somebody else or about God himself, how he works. And what God wants to do is replace any deception that is in your mind, and in your soul, with truth so that you would walk in the fullness of truth. Now, we did say last week, that godless wicked men suppress the truth now whether that's intentional or unintentional it is it happens when you do not know god that you stand against truth from time to time and yet the truth about god is clearly evident the scripture in romans says that what may be known about god is plain that his invisible qualities his divine nature his eternal power, that they have been clearly seen and understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. That you can say there is no God and you can live your own life. Generally, you choose to do so because you prefer a life of immorality, but you, you are not in a place where you can say, I never knew there was a God, that there's no evidence whatsoever. That's why I've said that atheism is an undefensible or indefensible position. Because to say that I know there is no God is to say I have all understanding of all information everywhere in the universe and I know there is no God. But on the contrary, to be one who has faith says I just have enough evidence in my heart to say yes, I believe. And the evidence is all around us. When you walk outside and you see the beauty of the creation of God, or for, for that matter, you don't even have to walk outside. You just look at one other human being who is a reflection of the image of God, the glory of God, and the, the majesty, the mystery of human life. You know there has to be a creator. Yet this world suppresses truth, and it is trying desperately You see, I would assume that Satan is desperate, knowing that the last days undoubtedly are coming, and he is desperate to suppress truth. Yet we have the advantage of knowing the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within us. He is the Spirit of truth. He will lead you into all truth, guide you into all truth. He makes known to us the truth of God. So in every situation, every circumstance, no matter what's going on, I can trust that he will lead me to truth. So I get into a situation where I'm confused, I'm uncertain, I don't know what to do. I wait until the Lord instructs and teaches and and try to know what his truth is. Even in recent days, there have been things that I've found very confusing about what's going on in the world around us. And I've been waiting and asking the Lord to show me. And, And always he gives insight and understanding about what truly is before us. So you see, a true church loves God, walks in fear of him, aspires to holiness, and stands for the truth. And so the next place I want to go is that a true church is one that has genuine love for others. Now, if we were to assess each person in this room and say, how well are you doing in terms of loving other people? I'm sure there's some in here that we would say they are extraordinary. They are very good. There are a lot of us who are probably mediocre. And then there's some, we wouldn't call them out, who probably are struggling in this area. If we look at the world's population, there are a lot of people who might think they're good at loving others, but just look at the world. There are a lot of people who are terrible at loving those around. And yet, the scripture indicates that there are two great commandments. The first, of course, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, which we explored there a few weeks ago in starting this and then the second is like it. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the scripture says all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, everything about the old, that is described in the Old Testament about how to live has to do with either loving God or loving people or both simultaneously. Everything about the moral law is about loving God and loving people. When the scripture says in the commandments, don't steal, that's what? Love your neighbor. When it says don't covet or don't lie, it's love your neighbor. So everything about the law and the prophets hangs on these commands. This is why Jesus said he came not to deny the law but to fulfill it because he is the fulfillment of love. But now I want to explore this scripture in a little different avenue because I'm sure some of you, maybe many of you, have heard a teaching that says this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is implicitly saying that you are to love yourself. And I want to challenge that a little bit. At least challenge how we think about it. Because first of all, Jesus could have said there are three commandments. Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. He didn't say that. He said two Love God and love your neighbor. He said, as yourself, not inferring that you need to do a better job of loving yourself, but rather resting on the assumption that what? You already do. And I want to challenge this a little bit because the love that we have for ourselves is a fallen love. That is, that how we go about looking at ourselves may not be the way that God would desire when it comes to this subject of love. Now, what I mean by that is that you and I are born wretchedly self-centered. It does not take long for that to be evident in a child's life, and certainly it is evident in the world all around us. I mean... Is it not true that you see the self-centeredness, the selfishness of people all the time in many places and if you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you see it in yourself? When our own wretched, little, prideful, selfish desires rear their ugly head over simple things. It's like I was in Knoxville about a week ago and... uh, I was in a busy area down there on the west side where there's a lot of malls and things like that. And I was in a two-lane road. Well, there are four lanes, two going this way, two coming the other. And we were at a stoplight, and I was the front car in one lane, another car right beside me. And there was this car coming towards us that tried to cut and turn in front of us after the light had turned, Okay. So our light is green, I start to go, the person beside me starts to go. This person tries to cut in front of us and go. And the person beside me just kept going. They didn't do anything unusual. And that person was forced to stop. Now let me tell you, unequivocally, that person was in the wrong. Okay? But, and they did not respond with loving kindness as we were driving across very slowly passing the red light and this person stuck there now in the middle starts to use sign language (laughs) and apparently is under trained in proper (laughs) sign language meanwhile that person attempting to use sign language with one hand is on the cell phone in the other so simultaneously violating the state law recklessly using sign language stuck in the middle of the road unable to turn and fortunately the car beside me was slightly ahead of me so they deflected it and I didn't take the full brunt of the blow of this person but it was like what were you thinking if you would get off the phone and drive your car according to the red light there'd be no problem but instead this person did what deflected deflected all of the blame upon this poor soul driving next to me. I only got 18% of it. (laughs) But you see, why did that person act that way? Because they are wretchedly selfish. Now, I looked closely to see if it was anybody from Celebration Church. (laughs) I didn't recognize the out-of-towner. You know, we used to have vans here that had Celebration Church logo on the side of them. We had a small incident one time a few years ago where a teenager did something while in one of the vans. It was probably not wise. We bought additional vans. I said, let's just leave the logo off. <laughs> you know, let's just, let's don't bother with that. But now you look. I believe that human beings naturally love themselves but with a fallen love. Now, you might think, well, I don't love this about me, like I'd like to be taller, I'd like to have green eyes instead of brown eyes, I'd like to have different... You'd you'd like to have different attributes. Do you realize that that statement is a prideful, self-loving statement that is essentially saying, if I was God, I would have done things differently, that I could do it better. And your desire to be different is really because you think those characteristics would give you better influence and effect in the world that I would be more successful, powerful, whatever it is, I'd be more admired, loved, if I was like this. And so, at the root of all that thinking is I. And it's really a prideful, fallen self-love that is saying, I want to be different. Now, you might say, well, what about the person who takes their own life I mean, they don't love themselves. Now, I will say that that's a very complex situation because I believe the demonic works to try to implant thoughts of death and suicide in somebody's mind and a person is terribly oppressed and so forth. But then you must recognize that suicide itself is a very selfish choice because all of the people around them are very, very adversely affected. I have a very good friend whose father committed suicide when my friend was a high school student. And it, it was a devastating blow to him. And he's had to walk through that in this life. And I, but now I recognize that's a very complex thing. But I would challenge you that in this statement to say that Jesus was teaching you should love yourself is to interject something into that scripture that is not clearly there. In fact, there is a lot about yourself that I hope you don't love. I mean, there are a lot of things that have come through my mind and in my thoughts that were certainly not God-honoring. And there's some things that I absolutely despise about myself. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Paul said and so if I'm all about self-love you see the, the reason I have trouble with this teaching is I think it gives a license to people in our society to indulge their sin nature and I'm just living this way I'm indulging in immorality whatever it is but to love myself God wants me to love myself Christ died that you could be a new creation, not to love the old, fallen, sinful you, but to be a new creation in Him. Now, the scripture says this in Romans let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Now, remember, when the Scripture is talking about the law, it's primarily talking about the moral law. It says the commandments about don't commit adultery, to, don't, to not commit murder, stealing, coveting, and so forth, that all of those are summed up in one thing, love your neighbor as yourself, that love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, in the Scripture I had previously, as well as in this one, every time the word love appears there, it is agape love. That is, there are diff- four different Greek words for love agape, phileo, eros, and so on, that agape is unconditional love. Now, fallen love is conditional. See, even when I am selfish and concerned about myself, sometimes we have a self-condemning attitude. It's a fallen love. Oftentimes, our love for other people is a fallen love. It's based on how they treat me or what they do for me and what benefit I get from them. It's a very selfish love. Quite frankly, some of the problems in marriages boil down to a very selfish attitude about love rather than a godly, unconditional attitude about love. That we are called In Christ, to learn what it means to love others unconditionally. And so this call to love your neighbor is always agape. To love as Christ loves. Sometimes to love somebody else. The most loving thing you can do for somebody else is to forgive them. I mean, you see, forgiveness is an act of unconditional love. Refusing to forgive is an act of selfish fallen man further in john jesus said a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples now if you love in a fallen way it's very selfish you are not a reflection of christ but if your love is unconditional for other people that you love them regardless of the situation and circumstances, that there's something special there. Some of you are familiar with the Dream Center that's out in California. Uh, I was watching a little brief documentary about it just recently. The Dream Center is looks like a large hotel. was a, essentially a church that was dead about 25, 30 years ago, and a young man came to be the pastor there, and it's very unique as a church because they don't have regular church services they have this hotel-like building that houses prostitutes and drug addicts and all kinds of people with all kinds of issues who've come off the street and are trying desperately to find life and hope and this place offers it to them that people can come there and stay for free to break free from the struggles that they're having in life and what they offer is essentially unconditional love to people who are the most downtrodden and broken in society. And it is a beacon of light in a very dark part of the city. And you can be certain that everybody in that region is very aware of the unconditional love of God coming out of that place for people. And see, that's what I would ask about us. Would other people recognize the unconditional love of God coming out of you? You know, I've encountered and known many people over the years that I'd say, oh, definitely, people around that individual would see the unconditional love of God, the agape love of God coming out of that individual because it doesn't matter your situation or circumstances that you show love to others. Now, there is a thing, though, about accepting yourself. I I don't think the Scripture encourages you to love yourself, at least your fallen self. But on the other hand, there is something about accepting who you are, valuing who you are in Christ. You see, because the Scripture does say that we are created in His image, that God created us male and female... And that we're created in his image. Now, that is the most glorious statement. That there's something about a human being, our capacity to reason, our capacity to love, our emotions, all these unique things about us that reflect the character and nature of God. I don't know that we necessarily look like him, but I'm sure he's probably a handsome, bald father. <laughs> but It's just the way I think of it. As do several others in the room. (laughs) But there is this thing about we are created in his image. And every human life is valuable. See, this is the one thing I believe that Christianity distinguishes from every other perspective that every single human life from conception till the last breath is of utmost value created in his image. And you see, societies that do not value the weakest are societies that lack the unconditional love of God. I think of Nazi Germany, it wasn't just the Jews that were murdered. There were many other classes of inferior people that were murdered. And literally, murdered. And yet, a society that is reflecting the unconditional love of God is one that values the weakest. Some of you have spent time in the needle, neonatal intensive care unit because maybe you had a child there, or some of you might have worked there, or something like that. I spent time there because I had a child there for a long period of time. And I, I think of the, the NICU, they call it, as a stopover between heaven and earth. These little tiny babies, sometimes they weigh two pounds or something like that there. And, and the people who worked there, like I met this nurse who had worked in the NICU at Holston Valley at the time. She'd been there like 30 years in the NICU, working the night shift, always working the night shift. And there was something in her that just had such a love for these little tiny babies. And that the people who worked there valued these lives that some would discard. Do you realize that in some cultures if a child is born with a deformity that they're discarded and left to die? A lot of the children who are in orphanages around the world were children who were just discarded and somebody took and brought them in to care for them. And you see, the love of God cares for the weakest, the most vulnerable in every situation. Like like the the old person whose mind has passed and they're physically weak, the love of God cares for that person perfectly. And see, God wants you to value yourself without having a selfish, fallen love of yourself. The Scripture does say that He created us, our inmost being, He knit us together in our mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you see, we, we should not put human beings in a hierarchy, but society does it all the time. In other words, we value those who are, who are good-looking or athletic or intelligent and successful, and we create a hierarchy. Do you realize that is absolutely a false hierarchy? That from God's perspective, every single one is fearfully and wonderfully made. And sometimes it's the weaknesses or what we perceive as weaknesses that are the places where God's strength is the most powerful and effective. Not in our human strength, but in his And see, one of the reasons we do around here spiritual gifts testing and personality testing is we want to encourage you to understand who you are, how God has created you, not that you're better than somebody else, that we are all gifted, but that God wants to use the gifts that he's given you to his glory. That you should value that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, made in the image of God, that you are gifted and talented for his purposes. But not to build your pride. You see, if you were to love yourself as God would love you, it would be a perfect, unconditional, selfless love. See, fallen love is selfish. God's love is perfect, it's unconditional, and it is selfless. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In other words, that he came to die out of perfect love because he is perfectly selfless. Quite frankly, I do not understand how God tolerates the evil and wickedness of this world. And as it's increasing, the magnitude is just increasing all the time. I do not understand how he tolerates it. And at some point he's going to say, enough. But I don't understand how he tolerates it, other than his love is so great for humanity and his desire is so great for each one to be saved that none would perish, that his mercy extends, his grace extends, and his justice and wrath is deferred because of his great love. But see, he loves each individually. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, if you you have a bunch of self-condemning thoughts and self-condemning attitudes about yourself, you are not looking at yourself with the love of God. You might be trying to love yourself in a fallen love and beating yourself up rather than accepting who you are in him and learning to love unconditionally. Do you realize as you extend unconditional love to others, comes back to you when you step across barriers that others are afraid to step across and you extend love to somebody else it will come back to you you do reap what you sow now you see the reason that I think that that can be misleading to say that you are to love yourself is because there's a lot in yourself that you need to deny And the scripture is quite clear about this. There's no interjecting something into this. The scripture is quite clear. He said, my command is that you love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. That to love somebody else is to give up my selfish attitude, my human perspective, how I want things to be, to value others ahead of myself, to be willing to sacrifice myself for other people do you realize that the way that god has designed human life that we may be born perfectly self-centered but he has orchestrated the circumstances of life to make you less and less self-centered as you go through this world i mean everything from relationships to the aging process all of it is about breaking your selfishness that you learn to love other people more perfectly. And every single one of us has opportunities all of the time to choose to be selfish or selfless. I mean, is it not true every day, essentially those opportunities come your way? To be selfish in the things that I do and how I approach things, that I step on others to get ahead or something of that nature, or to be selfless, to recognize that I could choose this avenue and it would be for my benefit, but I believe God would want me to go in this direction, that I would care more about others. Now, we think of this scripture where it says, no greater love hath one man for another than to lay down his life is is like the people who've sacrificed literally their lives to save others. Like I read a, a story of a man who he died trying to save a drowning child he literally was willing to sacrifice his life to try to save that child and we think of then those in the military who to me some of the stories i've read over the years of what people have done in the military just unbelievable bravery and courage in the face of knowing that i may well die whether it was for love of god or love of country or love of family whatever something drove them to do unbelievable acts that were selfless some of you will know who this is Desmond Doss is his name if you happen to see the movie Hacksaw Ridge it was about him many of you may not have seen it Desmond Doss was born in Lynchburg Virginia he was a humble man a Christian very very devout in his faith and when World War II broke out he, I don't remember whether he was drafted or enlisted. I don't know. But anyway, he got in, he, he joined the military, but he was a conscientious objector. And that is, he refused to carry a weapon, and he said, I could not shoot another human being because of my beliefs. And so he was in the military, but he was a conscientious objector. You know, many people use the conscientious objection standard to keep out of the military, but he was in. And um, he was ridiculed and ostracized by those in his training unit because of his beliefs. People made fun of him, so forth and so on. Nobody wanted to be around him. Uh, One officer had him put before a tribunal, tried to get him kicked out of the military, but he wasn't kicked out. That he had to be assigned to some type of role that was commensurate with his beliefs. He ended up being a medic, but he would not carry a weapon. I think most medics carried a pistol at that time, but he wouldn't carry any weapon. He was a medic. He was assigned to some unit. He ended up in the in the fighting in the islands, fighting the Japanese, and I don't remember exactly which island it was where this event happened that's referred to as Hacksaw Ridge. It was literally a ridge that his unit was told to uh, take. It was like scaling a cliff and then going up and over the, the top to attack the Japanese. And so people in his unit didn't really like him, didn't want him, but In one of the first battles, he showed his courage as a medic, rescuing wounded soldiers. And then the story that became well-known and the reason for this picture, this picture is President Harry Truman bestowing upon him the Congressional Medal of Honor after the war. And the reason he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor was that in this battle where... American soldiers went up and over the ridge and were in this wicked battle that eventually they were driven off of the ridge and many, many soldiers were left there wounded. And everybody evacuated except for Desmond. He was the last soldier staying on the mountaintop and he was rescuing one soldier at a time who was wounded. And he was literally bringing them back to the edge of the cliff and lowering them down by rope one at a time. And the minimal estimates were that he rescued at least 50 wounded soldiers and others estimate it was 100. And I've read some of the, the, there's an official government statement that led to the awarding of the Congressional Medal of Honor. And I read some of that and it was amazing that he was wounded twice, he was constantly under fire, and he kept going back. And this is the cool part. He said afterward that he kept praying, Lord, give me one more. He had such a love for the Lord and such a love for his comrades that he kept praying, Lord, give me one more. And he kept going back. He would get one at a time, lower them down, and save that many lives. And he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his valor and courage. And you see, in his case, he was a very selfless man. In fact, I've seen some very old recorded interviews of him. He's very humble. Just just a very quiet, spirited man. Do you know what, interestingly, though? He earned the respect of those who'd made fun of him. When they later had to go into another battle, they refused to go without Desmond that they were willing to go potentially die if they knew they had the chance that Desmond would rescue them. And see, he demonstrated what the Scripture says about denying yourself, not loving, there was nothing he did it was about loving himself. It was about loving his God and loving the people that God had assigned to him, and he denied himself to do it. See, the scripture says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not only look out for his own interest, but for the interest of others. That loving others is really often, very often about denying myself in order that I might care for others. And do you think of all the different ways that comes to pass in your life? I mean, when a when a person gets up and goes to work to provide for your family and you don't want to go, you don't feel like it, and you go anyway. I remember I've met some people over the years, like when I was teaching at college and so forth, that uh, where there were like dads who were working two or three jobs to pay for their kids to go through school, sacrificing themselves to care for their family. Or I think of of young moms, like, You know, to me, the fact that you carry a child for all those months, then give birth and go through all the the difficulty of that, and then your reward is what? Every three hours or so, you got to feed that child. No sleep. You know, I mean, that's a tough job. It's very much about self-denial, is it not? In fact, isn't parenting about self-denial? There's a whole lot about parenting that is denying myself to care for this human being. And there's just a lot in this life. The design of this life is about breaking your selfishness to love people unconditionally. Lastly, in Matthew, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. That whoever is living life for their own purposes, their own goals, in selfish love and self-indulgence, they forfeit life but whoever surrenders to Christ and lives in him and allows him to live through them and is doing so with a selfless, unconditional love, you will find life. You know, I mentioned that I became a Christian later in life and there are a lot of things about that that are bad. But the only thing that I find beneficial is that I have a very clear contrast between living a life without Christ versus living with him. I know what it is to be a selfish, ruthless person who cared far more about myself. And I know how much difference there is in Christ. Not that I'm perfect, but I know there is a huge difference between what I was and what I am. That He is breaking me, taking out the old self continually. I'm dying each day, learning to die in him, to arise in him, that his life would be imparted in a greater way and, and work through us, that he would be reflected in my daily life. And largely, that is about denying yourself and loving others genuinely. Well, let's pray. Lord, I pray that all of us would value and accept ourselves in you, the gifts and talents that you've given us. Realize that you have plans and purposes for each of us individually, plans that are good to bless us, to prosper us, to use us to your glory. And Lord, for those places where we are selfish, fallen in our attitude towards love, that you would replace that with your Holy Spirit. That we would be people who learn to love unconditionally with a selfless love that comes from you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.